Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. On tonight's episode, Governor General Marlowe begins to make his mark on the Guild in a way that is worrying for both Lady Justice and the Resurrectionists. But in Malifaux, death is a complicated business, and the city's necromancers are not a force to be trifled with. I hope you enjoy part one of Postmortem, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by The Last Legs, Malifaux's cleanest and friendliest house of ill repute. Our staff keeps the place so immaculate that our repute is hardly ill at all. So when you're on your last legs after a hard week in the Soulstone Mines, come down to The Last Legs for a night of good fun, good liquor and good company. Postmortem by Michael Wallace. Go on in, the Governor General is waiting. Justice stepped past the stiff backed secretary and through the heavy double doors into the Governor's office. She let her senses take in everything the scent of paper and faded cherry silked cigar smoke, the buzzing hum of electric lights, the solid feel of oak planks under her feet cushioned by red plush carpeting. A large horseshoe shaped desk dominated the centre of the room surrounded by bookshelves, arranged in a sunburst pattern. None of the books were in pristine condition. All had been opened and read through multiple times, and she had the feeling that if she were to run her fingers over their titles, she would find numerous treatises on magic soulstones in Malifaux City. The Governor-General was seated behind his desk. He was of average height, wiry and compact with brown, weather-beaten skin. Stacks of reports were spread out across its surface, some of which had the distinct smell of her own division clinging to their crisp surfaces. It was all the information he had gathered on the death marshal, she reckoned, and herself in particular. The desk is twenty feet in front of you, Franco Marlowe said. He didn't look up from the report he was reading. Justice tried to keep the scowl from reaching her lips. Governor General, I assure you I can see just fine, despite my blindfold. He glanced up at her his brow creasing in annoyance. I meant to have a seat. I am not having this discussion while you are hovering in my doorway. Justice hesitated, and then strode forward to stand by the desk. You sent for me. Can we make this quick? I have pressing duties to attend to beyond the walls of the Enclave. Marlowe smirked, a hint of appreciation and respect coloring his smile. Let us cut right to the point then, Miss Justice. He set down the papers he'd been reading and rolled up his sleeves to the elbow. After reading over all the information presented to me by yourself and several of your colleagues, I have questions. Questions that were not answered in your reports. Justice shifted uncomfortably. She wasn't accustomed to having her reports read by anyone other than accountants and quartermasters, 
such as? Marlowe's smirk disappeared like a mirage, revealing the scowl beneath. Such as what the hell do you think you're doing with my men? Justice took a half step backward in surprise. There was something about Marlowe that made her uneasy, like he was a dangerous man playing at being a politician. What are you talking about? Your special division was founded to root out the problem of these resurrectionists. But the more I hear about your so-called death marshals, the more I doubt whether you're actually on our side. So I want to know why you're turning guild employees into undead abominations. Justice's fists closed at her sides. Abominations? My death marshals protect the people of Malifaux against a fate far worse than you can imagine. The resurrectionists... I know all about the threat of necromancy and the undead, Marlowe growled. I seem to be employing an entire division of them after all. He snatched a stack of reports off his desk and began reading the underlined parts of each. Death marshals with rotting skin. Reports of jaws falling off in the break room. Trapping alleged necromancers in enchanted coffins. And as one report stated, he paused to read the quote directly from the paper in his hand. It looked like he had glowing motes of light where his eyes should be. He turned his withering gaze back to Lady Justice. Should I go on? A long moment passed as Justice stood in place, silent and unmoving. When she spoke, her voice was carefully measured and controlled. I assure you, those men are not undead. They are alive, and more importantly, they are loyal. Loyalty is irrelevant, Marlowe said. This flies in the face of common decency. You're doing God knows what to those men, changing them into these monsters, all to fight what feels more and more like a private war between two necromancer cults. Justice took a step forward. Her voice was steady and cold. My marshals are the reason the guild has any respect from the citizenry these days. They have sacrificed much to keep this city safe and they did so knowingly and voluntarily. I will not stand by and allow their sacrifice to be debased. A lesser man would have cowered, or retreated to the safety of his big opulent desk. Marlowe did neither. You are right about one thing, he admitted. You may have failed to eliminate the resurrectionists, but you have somehow managed to earn the respect of the city's people. Much of that goodwill has been squandered by Miss Crid's campaigns of sanctioned domestic terror, but that is a discussion for another day. Sanya, Marlowe waved her objections away. Not only have you failed to achieve significant results, Miss Justice, you've also wasted guild resources in the process. In nearly ten years, you have only succeeded in holding the resurrectionists at bay, and that, frankly, is unacceptable. He looked down at his files. I've decided to deal with the situation permanently. It was an option that was available to you from the very beginning but for whatever reason you decided it was more effective to play sword-swinging vigilante with your pack of half-dead cowboys. In two weeks, a contingent of Domadores de Cadaveres will be arriving with Brand's Cauldron, a priceless artifact that was recently confiscated from the home of a Welsh necromancer. They have been studying the cauldron, and assure me that it should be capable of sending this... What was it? He snatched another file from his desk and read it over quickly. This... Grave spirit back to whatever hell it came from. Spanish necromancers? Justice asked, shock evident on her features. You can't be serious. You would only be trading one group of resurrectionists for another. Marlowe's voice was venom as he locked gazes with her blindfold. 
It wouldn't be the first time the guild turned to someone with a necromantic past to fight the undead. Justice felt her knuckles cracking in her fists. When it became clear that she wasn't going to respond, Marlowe leaned back in his chair and folded his hands in his lap. Consider the final task of your division to be the protection of these necromancers until their ritual is successful. Understood? Understood, Justice hissed. She couldn't contain the rage in her voice, and she no longer cared. And after these necromancers of yours have waltzed in and solved all our problems, what then? Mallow's smile was almost smug. Then, Miss Justice, you and your death marshals shall become the public face of the guild in Malifaux. Or at least you and those marshals that are still fresh enough to pass for proper soldiers. The Malifaux Tatler will be reaching out to you at some point next week for an interview. We want to have it ready to print the moment the Resurrectionists find themselves cut off from their power. She snorted. Just like that. Just like that. Mahler looked back down to his papers. You are dismissed. I trust you can find the door without assistance. Lady Justice whirled and stormed out, swinging the doors wide and nearly bowling over a man huddled right outside the office. Oh, Lady Justice! Douglas McMorning stood up, brushing himself off and running a hand through his unkempt red hair. So sorry. I was just... I was just about to knock when... I don't have the time, Douglas, Justice snapped as she stormed away. McMorning! Marlowe called from the office as he craned his neck to see out the door. Why are you skulking about? Did you have an appointment? McMorning jumped. No, not at all, sir. That is, I was, uh... You get back to your chop shop, Marlowe said. You're not paid to loiter. Right away, sir, McMorning agreed. He hurried off, dashing past Marlowe's surprise secretary, who was just returning to her desk with a fresh cup of coffee. McMorning's mind was still racing from what he'd overheard. Right away, chop chop. From the sign above the door, the bordello had once been called The Last Legs. A handwritten sign in the window promised clean girls, clean drinks, and clean beds. A bloodstained handprint was smeared against the glass above it. McMorning scowled at the choice of meeting place, ignoring the pelt of rain on his face. He tried the door and found it unlocked. Inside were a dozen women in brightly coloured dresses, all of them languidly cleaning up broken tables and shattered chairs. One of the girls stood at the bar, slowly and carefully putting up bottles that hadn't been smashed. Blood was everywhere, and after noticing the stains on the dresses, McMorning realised that all of it was theirs. The girls turned toward McMorning in unison, revealing slashed throats and bullet holes in their foreheads. They regarded him with glassy dead eyes and rictus grins. Welcome, Douglas, they moaned in a chorus of throaty rasps. McMorning scowled. Seamus! Oi! A voice answered from behind a pair of sliding doors near the bar. He caught sight of a waving hand. In here, Dougie. McMorning tossed off his overcoat. As he walked to the doors, one of the bells bent down awkwardly, picking up his wet coat and started swiping at it with a feather duster. One of the women shambled towards him, one leg limping on a cut Achilles tendon, and held up a bottle of bourbon. Her dead eyes stared at him questioningly. No drink, he murmured, trying to shove past her. Another woman came up behind him and wrapped her arms around his waist, drawing a surprised shriek from the doctor. She gobbled something in a ragged whisper through her slashed throat as she clung to the squirming doctor with the strength of the undead. 
Girls, girls. The door slid open and a tall gentleman wearing a stylish jacket and a top hat strolled into view. Seamus waggled a finger at his undead minions. Don't go ploy your trade on poor Dougie here. He's a guest, not a customer. The rotten bells moaned in something that might have been an apology as they released McMorning, allowing him to pass. McMorning shot away from the undead woman the moment her hands were gone. In the blink of an eye there was a scalpel in his hand, and he brandished it defensively in the direction of the mob, his eyes wild. Seamus watched McMorning for a moment. You're a jumpy lump today. He motioned to the bar, spun on a heel, and strolled back through the sliding doors. Bring a bottle of the good absinthe in, Dougie. Old Nicky's in a right sour mood. McMorning eyed the bells, slipped the scalpel back into his glove, and followed Seamus into a private den that stank of cheap opium and cheaper cigars. A fire crackled in a large hearth, and three high-backed chairs were pulled up beside it. Seamus plopped himself down in one, one leg dangling over the armrest. The second was occupied by a bald, vulture-like figure. A pair of round spectacles reflected the fire's glow back at McMorning. Finally, Nicodem said. You are late, Doctor. I was just regaling Nicky on how I acquired this fine little property, Seamus said with a wave toward the empty chair. He was getting right antsy, though. You really ought to let that bug up your bum crawl out once in a while, Nicky. Nicodem straightened in his chair. I'm uncomfortable being here. It's unseemly. Seamus chortled. What? You? Squeamish around the dead? He regarded the other necromancer with a sneer. Don't be absurd. McMorning pulled the third chair around to face them. It's back to the fire, interrupting their arguments as its legs scraped loudly against the floor. He perched himself right on the edge and leaned forward. And the future. Don't have your girls greet me by name. Anyone could be listening in. There's nobody around here but us, Seamus promised. Keep your dress on, Dougie. No one is going to go tattling to your bosses. McMorning wrung his hands in concern. Blood slowly began to ooze down the inside of his gloves as the motion caused the scalpels hidden inside them to cut into his hands. He didn't notice, even when the blood started to drip down onto the wooden floor in a slow staccato of pattering drops. Nicodem eyed the blood trickling down onto the floor with detached concern. Doctor, you asked to meet with us with some urgency. We've waited long enough to hear what you have to say. Yeah, what are the secrecy? Seamus motioned with his hand, sending the undead women in the next room shuffling around. McMorning raised his hand and motioned off to the side, spraying blood droplets across the floor. Sebastian! Explain things, please. Nicodem and Seamus exchanged a look. Seamus grinned and made an after-you gesture, causing Nicodem to sigh. Perhaps, if this matter is so important, you might explain it yourself. Hmm? Right, right. McMorning ran his hand through his hair. When he pulled it back, there was a long groove in his forehead where the scalpel had cut into his flesh. Blood dripped down his wet face. This morning, I overheard the new Governor-General discussing how he's going to handle us, the Resurrectionists. Resurrectionism. Pfft, Seamus muttered. That ain't news. One of the bells shuffled into the room carrying a tray with three glasses, each of them filled with bright green liquid. 
She put it on a narrow table between Seamus and Nicodem. That a girl, Seamus grinned. He gave her a firm spank on the bottom. Now then, let us menfolk have our chat, eh? You girls keep a lookout. Don't let none of the usual clientele barge in on us. The undead woman moaned something incoherent, walked out and shut the doors behind her. Nicodem's bird-like metal prosthetic leg creaked under him. Must you maintain that ridiculous facade? Seamus lifted one of the glasses to his lips. I know. Better not to string her along. I'd only end up breaking her heart. He held a glass to Nicodem, who muttered something and took it. Dougie, wet your whistle? They looked back to McMorning to find half of his face drenched in a waterfall of blood. He was frowning and patting at his forehead with his blood-soaked glove, which was only succeeding in opening up more small cuts all over his face. Ceiling must be leaking, he murmured, unfazed by the blood lost. Didn't expect it to be raining blood today. Usually more of a Tuesday thing, that, and at this time of year. He glanced back to Seamus, his unbloodied eye bulging wide. We need to find umbrellas before the sky starts to clot up on us. Nicodem leaned forward and snapped his fingers in front of McMorning's face. Focus. What were you saying about the Governor-General? What was his plan? McMorning blinked rapidly. Then his face lit up in recognition. We haven't done that part yet. Right, sure. He started to peel off his gloves one by one, causing half a dozen scalpels to clatter to the floor. As Sebastian was saying, he's not happy with Lady Justice and her death marshals. He's decided to call in a group of undead camels from Earth to help them defeat us. The two other necromancers stared at McMorning in silence both of them privately wondering whether they should bother asking for clarification. This time it was Seamus who spoke up. The guild's going to use undead camels to beat us once and for all. McMorning nodded in serious concern. Yes. Now, I've prepared a presentation. He hopped to his feet, reached into his coat, and retrieved a roll of drafting paper, which he unrolled and held in front of him. Despite the process smearing the paper with blood, they could make out a crude drawing of Lady Justice charging into battle atop some sort of undead, bug-eyed camel. The words, Dromedary Cadaver, were scrawled under the misshapen creature. Now, this is similar to something I've been working on in my spare time, so... Realisation flashed in Nicodem's mind. Domadores de Cadaveres, he offered. They're Spanish necromancers. McMorning's eyebrows rose curiously. I don't see what their ethnicity has to do with anything. If they can cast spells with those hooves, though. Seamus was ignoring McMorning by this point. So what? The guild brings some spellcasters through the breach. We kill them just the same as their death marshals. He took another sip of his absinthe. Heck, heck won't be long before most of them start hearing the whisper and switch sides. Nicodem gave a dignified sigh. Our particular brand of magic is weaker on Earth than it is in Malifaux. If even half the rumours I have heard about the Domadores di Cadaveres are true, they are capable of raising the dead in great quantities back home. If they came to Malifaux, their powers here would be... considerable. McMorning snapped his fingers, splattering blood across Nicodem's glasses and into his drink. That's right, the whisper. 
After Marlow left his office, I had Sebastian sneak in to find out more about the camels and the cauldron they're bringing with them. According to the report, the object is powerful and the camels are going to use it to banish the last remnants of the Grey Spirit's essence. Seamus sat up in surprise, his mouth forming into a small O as the full weight of what the guild intended sank in. Silence lingered over the three of them, broken only by the pelt of rain on the windows and the crash of thunder overhead. That is worrying, Nicodem admitted as he carefully set his glass back onto the table. That would make any act of necromancy quite a bit more difficult than it is currently. It may even stop being possible, Seamus added with uncharacteristic alarm. Is that something those red-coated idiots can even do? McMorning shrugged his shoulders as the blood started to pool around his collar. Who knows? Until yesterday, I didn't even know that camels could use magic. New things learned every day. He discarded his drawing and started pacing back and forth, his bloody fingers tapping at his chin. In any event, the five of us... Three, Nicodem corrected in a tired voice. Three of us... We'll have to do something about it. Attack the train. Maybe derail it while they're coming through the beach. Maybe poison the air in the station. Maybe. Oh, that could work too. But we'll need some dead gremlins. Maybe some tubing and an air pump. Seamus threw back the rest of his drink and tossed the glass past McMorning's head, shattering it against the wall. There's only one thing left to do then, isn't there? He said, standing up. We go into the enclave, find them traitorous necromancers, and slaughter every last one of the poor swords. We can't, Nicodem reminded him. I tried that once before, if you recall. The death marshal stopped my forces. Rather promptly, I might add. He glowered at the fire. We don't have the time to gather enough corpses to make a proper army. Ha! You think we should go knocking on the front doors with an army? Seamus tapped his head with one finger. This is why I'm the brains of this here operation, Nicky. Nicodem glanced back up at him, a sneer tugging at his lips. By all means, please enlighten us. I'm saying, we don't have to worry about forcing our way into the Enclave, because we already got someone who can get us in, Seamus winked. They both looked in McMorning. Through the lower intestine if I had enough sausage casing to strengthen the lining. McMorning paused, noticing that the two of them were looking at him. What? The judge leaned back and kicked the door with all of his might. The rickety knob snapped free, and the door swung open on its rusted hinges. His death marshals, followed by a squad of guardsmen, rushed into the building, their guns drawn and sweeping across each room they entered. After a few moments, he heard a disappointed, All clear, judge. Without sheathing his pistol, he entered the building, a narrow little townhouse in the quarantine zone. They had been following rumours regarding the mounted woman, the Reaper they had nicknamed her, for three days now, and nothing. The house was empty. Not even the furniture had been left behind. Empty as a gremlin's head, the guard sergeant muttered. Think we got the wrong lead? The judge shook his head. Not a chance. This is the place. She must have known we were coming. The sergeant removed his cap and scratched his head. How do you figure? 
they just took everything they had and ghosted. I mean, fled. Not the literal kind of ghosting. The judge shook his head. Maybe. But who warned them? No one had an answer. After mulling it over for a few moments, he came to a decision. Burn it. Don't tell anyone that we didn't find her. I need to confer with justice. A few hours later, he arrived by aircar at the death marshal compound. He could tell that something was amiss before he even disembarked. Most of the death marshals who were not on active duty were in the courtyard, surrounding Lady Justice. He quickly descended the arrival platform and walked to her side. Keep your eyes open, she was saying. We can't afford anything to slip through. She acknowledged the judge's arrival with a nod. You're all dismissed. The judge waited until they'd left before speaking up. It's not like you to keep me out of the loop. Never, she replied with an affectionate smile. Things are just... They've been busy here. It's strange out there. Want to compare notes? She sighed. There's not much to tell. The new governor general doesn't like our division. The marshals give him the creeps. The judge gave a light shrug of his shoulders. That's to be expected. We're not easy on the eyes. How fortunate that I do not have them, she teased him. There's more. I think he's bringing in people to replace us. Spanish necromancers. Apparently he has some connection to them. Replacements? The judge frowned behind his mask. Are we getting the boot? I'm not saying it's for sure. Justice admitted, but the governor's tone was pretty final. The judge took a slow breath. So that's why you didn't alert me? Didn't want to break my heart? No, she chuckled. Despite the situation, he always seemed to say just the right thing to bring a smile to her face. I want you out there. I'm stuck here preparing the protection detail for our incoming guests and giving interviews to annoying reporters. Anyone that's not on protection detail, I want out there, doing what's necessary. We can't afford to look bad right now. Not if we want to have any chance of proving our worth to Marlowe. Then I might have bad news for you. He pulled a pack of cigarettes out of his pocket, lit one up and slipped it under his bandana. The past week or so has been, in a word, boring. Every lead we've been chasing has dried up or hit dead ends. The Rizzers are going underground. I thought maybe it was one of them killing the others and taking control of their minions like last year. But now... Do you think they know? Justice thought about it. Maybe. The governor has something big planned. Something that would make our jobs obsolete. The plume of smoke billowed out from beneath the judge's mask as he exhaled. Well, good. That's good, right? unless they try to stop it. She frowned and stepped away from the cloud of smoke. We know that they've got something or someone whispering in their ears, warning them whenever we get too close. If it's the grave spirit like some of them claim, it might be telling them to keep a very low profile, the judge nodded, understanding. And if that's true, we might see something bigger than last year's horde. For all we know, every resurrectionist in Malifaux could show up on her doorstep with an entire city's worth of corpses. The judge imagined the results of such a fight. 
I'll see if I can't bring the hammer down a little harder. Maybe spook a few out of their holds. Work fast, she said. Burn down the entire QZ if you have to. As much as obsolescence bothers me, it'll bother me less than seeing the city overrun by walking corpses. I'm on it, the judge promised. Dinner when I get back, she smiled. Don't stay out too long. another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux and part two of Postmortem.